0: Hello and welcome, or welcome back, to Climate Breakdowns and How to Stop Them, my podcast where I take the buzzwords we all hear in our conversations around climate change and I break down what they really mean. A little info on myself, in case you haven't come from episode one, my name is Caitlin and I'm currently doing a master's in climate change, agriculture and food security. And in my personal life, I'm just really interested in learning how to live a more sustainable lifestyle. Also, to give a little bit of info on what this podcast basically is... So every episode, we'll take a new topic that's commonly mentioned in climate change conversations and break it down. We'll give the definition, a little background on where it comes from, and we'll discuss how it may or may not be relevant in our daily lives. And we'll make sure to discuss any critiques or controversies surrounding the topic, because I don't want to give a biased view telling you that something is great and sweeping past any issues that may be associated with it. Thank you very much for all the listens on the last few episodes. If you haven't listened to any of the previous ones, feel free to go back and listen. We have a nice little collection growing. In this episode, we're going to discuss a topic which we have all heard, I'm sure, and that is greenwashing. This affects everything from clothes to food to cars, so I think it'll be really beneficial to dive in and learn a bit more about what it really is and whether or not it's relevant to us in our daily lives. Okay, so to give a bit of a definition for greenwashing, It is the act of misleading consumers regarding the environmental practices of a company or the environmental benefits of a product or service. So in that respect, greenwashing can be done on a company level or on a product level. Another definition I found said that greenwashing was the intersection of two behaviors, poor environmental performance and positive communication about the environmental performance. So it's not really greenwashing if your company is really bad about its environmental practices and it just doesn't talk about them at all. And it's not greenwashing if it has good practices, which it does do, and it talks about them loads. The issue arises when the practices are negative and the communication is positive. So I hope that gives a reasonable idea of what it actually is. Now let's have a look at the background of greenwashing, where it came from, and how it got to be as big a deal as it is today. Alright, so let's dive into the background. The first case of an accusation of greenwashing was in 1986, when an activist Jay Westerveld highlighted that hotels were asking guests to reuse towels and claiming that it was a company water conservation strategy. However, when he took a closer look, he found that there were no other environmental actions in place in the business which would have had a more significant environmental impact. This is a good example of one type of greenwashing, where there's a symbolic communication about the positive environmental actions a company is making, but there isn't really the action to back it up. So they weren't actually getting people to reuse the towels for a water-saving strategy, It just sounded quite nice to say that. Nowadays, almost 40 years after this first greenwashing claim, we hear about greenwashing in relation to everything. And there are various different types of greenwashing which vary from eco-branding on product packaging all the way to outright lying and the changing of numbers when companies are reporting on their emissions. One of the most famous examples of greenwashing which hit the news in recent years is the Volkswagen emissions scandal. I won't go into huge detail on this because a lot of people would have already heard about it or heard about it at the time, but basically what happened was that in 2015, the University of West Virginia found that Volkswagen had been installing a device in their cars which allowed them to pass laboratory tests around their emissions, when in reality they weren't emitting a little bit more pollution than they were meant to be, they were emitting 40 times the amount of pollution that was allowed in the US. And it was found that 11 million cars had these devices worldwide. Now, this is obviously a serious issue, but it became even more of a scandal when it came out that senior managers within Volkswagen knew about the devices all along and the people involved in developing them were actually rewarded for doing so. So, of course, it resulted in a huge scandal and Volkswagen lost 40% of its stock in two weeks and multiple people ended up going to prison for fraud. Obviously this is an example of one of the worst and most kind of conscious and purposeful forms of greenwashing. So if the consequences of getting caught out for greenwashing can be so severe, such as going to jail for fraud or your stock dropping by that much, why do companies do it? As we can see, there is a growing demand from the public for eco-friendly products. In fact, one study showed that 66% of global consumers are willing to pay more for environmentally friendly products. Companies and their investors are aware that people are more or less likely to buy their product depending on how environmentally friendly they perceive the company or the product itself to be. So, to put it very simply, greenwashing is done to make your company look better. However, it was reported by TerraChoice that 95% of products claiming to be green in Canada and the US committed at least one of the sins of greenwashing. So the seven sins of greenwashing are seven ways that have been identified that companies can greenwash either their company as a whole or their products. I'll run through them in the next section and I'm sure even just listing them out will start to make you think about companies or products that you use and ask whether you might have already seen greenwashing in action. So We might have heard of greenwashing, but there are also other things called bluewashing and blackwashing, which I'll touch on briefly just while we're here. Bluewashing refers to social issues, such as companies which talk about their diversity, like, talk about it loudly on their website, but have a disproportionately straight, white, able-bodied, or male staff. This is also relevant when companies run big campaigns for the likes of International Women's Day, but... Behind the scenes, they're actually not paying their female staff the same rates as their male staff in the same positions and things like that. Blackwashing is another term. It's the proposed term for economic greenwashing, but this one kind of hasn't been become used in the mainstream just yet. Okay, so there's a little bit of background on where the term greenwashing came from. So I mentioned earlier the seven sins of greenwashing. So to figure out how greenwashing might be relevant in our lives. I'm going to go through the seven sins. So number one is the sin of the hidden trade-off. So this is when a company is suggesting that they're green based on some very narrow attributes when there are actually other aspects of their company which are not highlighted that are very bad for the environment. One classic example of this is energy companies widely and loudly promoting the new renewable energy that they're investing in while They're also literally drilling for oil in parts of the ocean that previously were untouched. So it's very clear that they could make positive environmental impacts in other ways other than just investing in their renewable energy. Like, for example, stopping drilling for fossil fuels. Number two is the sin of no proof. This is where an environmental claim is made by a company, but it can't really be substantiated by any easily accessible information. I think we're all familiar with this in relation to products where a claim is made and you just have to think, is that really true? So if there's no link to a website or small print with details of the, on the product, we have to ask ourselves, where is the proof for this claim? Number three is the sin of vagueness. Now, this one is definitely something we've all come across and it's basically a claim that is just too broad or too poorly defined to actually really say anything. I saw one paper that said all natural is a good example of a claim that's too vague because arsenic, uranium, and mercury are all technically natural, but that doesn't really mean that they're good for us. No, it it doesn't mean at all that they're good for us. (laughs) Number four is the sin of false labels. Again, there are lots of examples of this. If a product has a label on it saying that it fights global warming or that it's eco-safe, but there isn't like an organization backing up that label, then this might be a false claim or a false label. Alternatively, there could be an organization that goes and checks out the way companies are performing. And if they're happy with how they're doing, they'll give them the label. So that would be like an example of like not a false label. Yeah, this company, this, this organization backs up this company. But there's a lot of false labels that companies put on their products also. Next is the sin of irrelevance. I thought this one was kind of funny. It's when a claim is made by a company and it actually is true, but it isn't relevant. So an example of this is when a product says something like CFC free, but CFCs are actually banned by law. So there was no way it was ever going to be in their product. Next is the sin of the lesser of two evils, which... Is where a claim, again, like the previous one, might actually be true for this product, but it distracts the consumer from overall negative impacts of this product. So an example we could think of is organic cigarettes. Like, yes, okay, they might be organic, but that doesn't make them any better, really. They're still cigarettes at the end of the day. And the last one is the sin of fibbing. This one is intuitive and it's just companies making flat-out false claims. So with those in mind, we can start to think about greenwashing in the products that we buy. Every company nowadays knows that being eco-friendly is a big selling point. And I'll admit, personally, I am swayed to buy something when I see that it's carbon neutral or plastic free. However, we have to be careful and be a little bit sceptical when we see these labels. I might have touched on it slightly in my fast fashion episode, but like if Zara or H&M or dare I say it, Shein say that they have an eco-friendly or uh, organic cotton range of clothes, this might make you think, yeah, they're, they're being responsible, they're a responsible company, but if at the same time they're churning out tons of excess, low-quality garments that will eventually turn up in landfill, then is their eco-friendly label really that true? And this is the same, like we said earlier, if a fossil fuel company start investing in solar panels, like, it's, it's good, but they're still mining fossil fuels, which is terrible, you know? So you have to look at the company as a whole. So we've covered the seven sins of greenwashing, which is like, they're kind of all various ways of not telling the truth or covering up the real truth. But there is another type of greenwashing, which I find really interesting. And this is called executional greenwashing. So this is where they won't make any false claims or anything like that, but they subtly suggest that their product or company is natural and environmentally friendly and eco-conscious through the use of their imagery and their branding. So this could be when you go onto a company's website and all the imagery is of forests and green fields and waterfalls and mountains and endangered species like pandas and polar bears, It could also be where like renewable energy, so like solar panels on a beautiful sunny landscape or wind turbines. If you go on Shell's website right now, the first four images you will see are blue skies, wind turbines, and a city full of green trees. If you go on BP's website, you'll see pictures of blue skies and blue water, solar panels against a sunny background, chickens for some reason, not sure why they were there, and green landscapes full of trees. You would hardly know that these are both literally fossil fuel companies. So the imagery kind of communicates one message, which is counter to what the company is actually about. This is also done on a product level. The packaging of a product sends us messages on what it's like, well before we even read what the product is. If, for example, a bar of soap is packaged in speckled brown paper, whether or not you actually know anything about the product you immediately feel like it's more natural in some way compared to like if it's packaged in plastic that that feeling is just not going to come personally i feel like this type of greenwashing is almost more insidious because although we don't always read the text on the products we buy or read the text on the website we do always see the packaging or see the imagery so we can feel that something is eco-friendly, and maybe even sometimes we'll pay a little extra for it, for being eco-friendly, when really it has no difference to all the other things on the shelf that haven't got this type of eco-packaging. There has been a good bit of research done on this, and anyone who's done marketing or studied that kind of thing will know this, but it has found that, without a doubt, Imagery and packaging influence the consumer's perception of how eco-friendly a product or a company is. Okay, so as I said at the start, I always like to look at the critiques of the topics that I cover. So, with this topic, to be honest, I'm actually a bit hesitant to push this too hard because I don't want to make people think that all things that are labelled as green in some way, shape, or form uh, are totally rubbish and not to be believed. There is a growing sense of green scepticism, we'll call it, I think where people are inclined to disbelieve everything that companies say around the environment and their practices. But this shouldn't necessarily be the case, because some companies are really doing good work, especially the smaller companies. To be honest, if you're doling out your scepticism, I would recommend giving like 90% of it to the big corporations and like 10% of it to the smaller local companies because often they're the ones that are actually backing up their claims with their practices in a more genuine way and they might not even be talking about it loudly the way that the companies that might have some questionable practices are talking very loudly about their eco practices so to offer a little bit of advice Over the next few years, there are only going to be more and more companies and products using this type of branding, and we all have to get good at spotting the ones who are just hopping on the bandwagon for an extra few sales, and the ones who are really walking the walk behind the scenes. As with anything that I recommend, you can't drive yourself crazy with this, researching every single product you buy to check if they have evidence to back up every single claim, because that's not good for you, number one, but also... Nobody has the time for that. And if you start to do that, you can end up burning yourself out and then not taking into account any of the environmental impacts of what you're buying. So maybe my advice would be to keep an eye out for the really obvious forms of greenwashing and for the really subtle forms. So next time you're on a website and the background imagery is like a forest or some clear blue water, think to yourself, is that really relevant to this company? Greenwashing is a funny one too, because by its very nature, it's kind of ambiguous and confusing. When we talked about fast fashion, we could, I could easily say to you, do not buy fast fashion. But with greenwashing, I can't say to you, do not buy from companies that are greenwashing, because the whole point of it is that if they're doing it well, we don't know that they're doing it. So that's why my advice is to just be aware of this issue and keep an eye out for it in your daily life. See if you can spot it in the things that you're buying. That brings us to the end of this episode. I hope it was informative and interesting and that you learned something. Thank you so, so much for listening. I really appreciate it. And if you haven't heard the previous episodes, definitely go and check those ones out. I know I shouldn't keep apologising in each episode for the delay between them, um, but still, sorry for there being such a delay since the last episode, in case anyone was waiting. You were waiting a long time, <laughs> I will update the Instagram when the next episode is in the works. So give that a follow to be in the loop with my very irregular upload schedule. <laughs> also, I hope you liked my little intro music and that my sound quality is nice. I'm using a mic for this episode and the other ones were done with my phone. So I hope this is better. Once again, I'm not sure what the next episode will be. So I'm very open to requests or suggestions. Absolutely send them to me at my Instagram or at the podcast Instagram at climatebreakdowns.pod. The ways to contact me will all be listed down below, along with all the sources for this episode. Thank you so much for listening, and goodbye.